I'm your host, Fraser Bailey, and welcome to the VegUp Podcast, where we talk mindset, psychology, plant-based nutrition, lifestyle, and big dreams. So if you want to get your head in the game, level up, and become the best version of you, listen in. Let's go. Anxiety and how to stop letting it rule your life. Guys, this is going to be a deep dive discussion into everything relating to anxiety and how it manifests itself in different areas of our life. The pillars that we must focus on in order to break through this, because fundamentally, I can give you all the tips and all the strategies in the world, but if your anxiety is steering the ship, None of this stuff will really matter long term. It won't stick because when you get under pressure, everything will fold. Everything will cave in. So a little bit of a backstory, just so you know where I'm coming from, because I'm going to be talking about anxiety relating to nutrition, to training, external stimulus, people and conversations, some books and resources, not enough stress exposure, or what is called the hermetic effect. different things that you can do and that I've done in my own journey to help mitigate and balance and modulate anxiety to turn it into a good thing or to turn it into something that is a useful tool to take action and not this thing that is so debilitating. But I was not always in that place. So many of you know, but some of you won't about my backstory. So I was a butcher in my old life. Before I became a vegan nutritionist and a peak performance expert, I was a butcher and I drank all the time. My diet was terrible. I was literally a different person. I spoke differently. I carried myself differently. I looked differently. Everything about me was different. And when I'm saying that, I'm not just saying it lightly. I'm literally telling you that I was completely able to change the person I am inside and out via brain rewiring. I truly, truly believe that. And I had suffered for years with bipolar disorder and I was medicated for that. I suffered for years with severe social anxiety and I was medicated for that. And I suffered for years with ADHD and I was also medicated for that. So I was on Ritalin. I was on clonazepam, um, which is, I guess you could call it, it was like clonopin. Um, and I was also on lithium carbonate for bipolar disorder. I'm on none of those things now, and I haven't been on any of those prescription medications or any prescription medications for that matter for about 10 years now. So I just want to give you that backstory that I was heavily medicated and my anxiety was so bad at certain points in my life that I walked away from a psychology and law degree in my second year with a bunch of student debt and nothing to show for it because I got such bad anxiety having to get on the bus to ride into the university campus that I just stopped. I would start to almost feel like I was going to vomit, literally going to pass out or vomit. It was that bad. And anxiety ruled my life. It ruled my routines. I often had to drink before I would go out into social situations to just feel like I could even semi-function around people. 
I there were so many instances in my life where I would not go to certain things because I knew my anxiety would be so bad that I just missed out on many things in my life. I remember coming back to New Zealand where we're at right now, seeing my family, and on a Saturday, we went down to one of the busiest, most popular beaches in New Zealand, Long Bay Beach, and I was walking with Lauren and Zia, and there was lots of people there, and I remember saying to Lauren, if this was me 15 years ago, I wouldn't have even been able to come down to this beach on Saturday because I would have got so much anxiety about how many people were down here. I just wouldn't have come. And that was the story of my life, guys, where I missed out on so many experiences in my life because I hid away knowing that my anxiety would flare up and that it would be so uncomfortable that I just didn't live. I didn't live. I missed out on so much living in my old life because of the shackles that anxiety had on my life. So I want you to know that it was in a place where it was really, really bad. And when I give you these suggestions and I tell you what I'm about to tell you, know that it's coming from a place of personal experience and having walked the path that maybe you are contending with right now. So without further ado, let's jump in and let's talk about all of this stuff. So I'm going to go back and forth over different concepts because I have a bunch of notes here and I just basically brain dumped everything down that I thought might help you. And so some things will tie back to different things and I'm not going to be just going through one section cleanly because everything interrelates. And so the first thing that I want to talk about is nutrition, then training and external, external stimulus and then habits and routines and different strategies and methodologies that I've used to help me navigate these challenges. So the first thing to recognize, and this is something that I talk about a lot in all my other episodes around nutrition, is that if your diet is full of processed sugars and stimulants like caffeine and sedatives and depressants like alcohol, you are going to be putting jet fuel on the fire of anxiety. That's just the truth of it. That blood sugar instability and what that means is that if you eat something that's really processed, sugary, vegan donuts, cookies, you, you name it, I've found that tends to exacerbate anxiety more. It's just, a, it's just a byproduct of what's happening with your blood glucose levels being so unstable that you get brain fog and your energy changes and it can definitely speed up heart rate, increase body temperature and your body often finds it hard to distinguish between increased heart rate and body temperature with anxiety and just like with blood glucose changes in your body and you start to interpret signals as anxiety signals and so in the moment sure you might get a nice little dopamine hit from the sugar but after the downstream effect of that is often more exacerbated cognition slash anxiety so i found that your nutrition is such a huge part of your mental health and psychology and neurochemistry. It really is. And I look back on my old life and I recognize that my diet was so bad and that was massively fueling those negative outcomes cognitively for me, how I think. So the first thing is whole food plant-based diet. You need to start removing as much of the processed sugary junk food as you can because that stuff is only going to be exacerbating your issues more. It's not going to be helping them in any way, shape, or form. 
And just you need to future pace that. And by future pacing, I mean you need to ask yourself, hey, I'm about to do this thing. I'm about to consume this thing or eat this thing. What is the downstream effect of this? What is going to be the future outcome of me making this decision right now? And then you future pace that feeling of anxiety or you future pace that feeling of calmness because you didn't do it and you ate something healthy and you future pace how you want to feel and it can help you course correct. So I do that. I do that often. The next thing is your stimulants. This is a huge one for most people because most people are tired. They don't sleep well. They're burned out. They're running on fumes. And so they're using stimulants, caffeine, to basically artificially engineer energy, which is not good. It's a short-term solution. It's like a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, basically. At a certain point, that is going to give. And stimulants increasing heart rate, increasing body temperature, increasing nervous system arousal, what does that look like? It looks just like anxiety. So again, if you're already under anxiety-loaded situations where your nervous system is getting hyper aroused, adding stimulants onto that so you feel like you can need to function, you're going to be exacerbating anxiety even more. So what I would suggest you do here is some people are like, well, phrase, look, if I remove stimulants completely, I'll never function. I'm not telling you to remove them completely straight away, but I am telling you, maybe you need to moderate the dose. Maybe you need to dilute down your coffee or whatever you're doing by 50%. And so you're still got that habit intact but the quantity of, of stimulant in there is diluted down. And you need to consciously dilute that down over time. So maybe you do half of the dilution for a week or two weeks, and then you go to a, th- a quarter of the dilution for t- a week or two, and then you go to an eighth of the dilution. And then maybe you just remove it completely, or maybe you just stay on an eighth of a dilution. So think of that. That is a good ladder progression to get you off that spectrum. But that's important because stimulants – and blood glucose levels from processed foods is definitely going to exacerbate things more. Another thing is alcohol. This is probably one of the biggest ones. Alcohol, straight up depressant. It is a sedative. And it is probably one of the biggest barriers for most people. Now, I'm not going to dive into the the deep, dark weeds of alcohol consumption in this podcast because it's literally a series in and of itself. You just have to recognize that if you're consuming alcohol, it's going to be massively contributing to your anxiety levels. You might feel more sedated in the moment, but there's a huge rebound effect that happens after the fact. And when that, when you get sober or, and or when the alcohol leaves your system, it just is, it's going to absolutely make your anxiety so much worse. I faced that immensely in my early days when I told you about that story with the bus because I used to drink a lot to be able to go out into social environments just to handle the pressure or handle the the interaction. Once I stopped drinking, all of a sudden the anxiety reared its head because I'd been using it to bring down the anxiety short term. But what would happen is that it would flare up even more after the fact. So I almost had to go through a, a detoxification phase where I had to allow the anxiety to exist while I got the alcohol out of my system and got used to handling and navigating and adapting my strategies, healthier strategies to handle the anxiety rather than using a sedative because the rebound effect of it was way more pronounced. Like I was saying, I, I, I got off the bus. 
I couldn't even go to my campus anymore because I stopped drinking and the rebound effect was so pronounced that the anxiety was so much worse. Most people, they would just continue to drinking because they don't want to face that anxiety that they've been suppressing. Rather, you need productive ways to work for it. And that's what I'm going to share with you through this, this episode. Another thing is your training. People think of training as some luxury. When I say training, I mean working out as a, as a luxury, as something that I'll do on the side if I have time. If I'm really busy, I'm just going to get it pushed to the back burner. Training is your pressure release valve. You are like a pressure cooker. And that as your anxiety increases, so too does the pressure in the cooker. What's going to happen? At a certain point, you are going to burn out. You are going to hit burnout. You're going to either get sick or you are just going to have a mental breakdown or both. You need to see training as one part of your pressure release valve where every day you do something. So what I'm saying here is I'll do weight training four times a week as a part of my pressure release valve, but we will walk every day where it's on the beach. You need to get out and move your body. Movement, pressure release valve. You can't just sit at your desk all day and get 2,000 steps total. Sedentary nature is going to exacerbate anxiety because there's no pressure release valve. You need to have some form of pressure release valve in forms of training and movement or even walking every day in some capacity. So you might train four days a week and the other three days you might walk, for example. You might do yoga or something like that. So you need to start seeing training not as this thing of uh, a luxury to build muscle or to lose body fat and feel great at the beach in your bikini or your board shorts. No, it's a pressure release valve to maintain your level of cognition and sanity. Important, really important. Another thing to understand is external stimulus. This is a big one. This is an often overlooked one. People will try to get the nutrition and the training dialed in and they overlook the external stimulus. External stimulus is news, social media, conversations with people, interactions with people, and arousing or violent content. What I mean by that is stop watching mainstream news, whether it's CNN, Fox, anything. Most mainstream news, I would actually argue to say all mainstream news is propaganda garbage. It's full of nonsense, lies, distortion, fear-mongering. It's designed to arouse your nervous system, get you stressed out, get you complaining. There's nothing helpful about the news. And the people who say, well, I want to stay updated, you're being updated with misinformation and propaganda. It's, trust me, as someone who's stepped away and not watched the news in years, when I go back and see it, I'm like, this is just a complete pile of nonsense. And so you've got to recognize that that's going to increase blood pressure. It's going to increase nervous system arousal. It's going to increase aggression, anger, all those things that are associated with more anxiety. You're going to start worrying about things in the world that haven't happened or that aren't even happening. And it's going to stress you out, period. So news, you've got to turn it off. Put something personal development related on, nature related, a documentary about nature, discovery channel, something more lighthearted. The next thing is social media. You need to curate your social media content. Most people just accept everyone on their news feed and all their rambling, nonsensical, emotional posts. They have no moderation. It's like a fire hose to the face of emotion. You need to either remove people, uh, unfriend them. You need to unfollow them. You need to curate your news feed. So you're unfollowing and pages and unfollowing people or un- removing 
content that is exacerbating and inflaming your psychology, period. You just need to do it for your own sanity. So my newsfeed, when I get up in the morning and I scroll it, it's got people that inspire me. It's got people posting their hiking, the places they're exploring, their entrepreneurial wins, their vegan wins, their vegan food, different things that I know at the very least don't aggravate me. And so political posts, anything like that, I just unfollow it because I'm just not going to subject myself to it because it never results in a positive outcome for your psychology. It's just going to exacerbate anxiety and you've got to recognize that that's not serving you in terms of the person that you want to become. And when you can recognize that, it gives you the power to take things back. Like I was also saying, violent or overly arousing content. I recognize back when I was really dealing with a lot of anxiety, I would watch a ton of action movies and horror movies and news and that overly arousing, violent content, I really do think that it it does a, a number on your energetic psychology in terms of just the things that you focus on and the things that you enjoy. Now, I don't even want to watch violent movies or like action movies where everyone's just killing each other and stuff. I just, it's just not my vibe anymore. And so if you're dealing with anxiety, you need to really moderate that stuff and recognize that, hey, it might be fun in the moment, but I guarantee it's having a downstream effect on your nervous system. And that you've got to weigh that up. Do you want to have some pleasure in the moment watching this action movie or do you want to have downstream anxiety and an overly aroused nervous system for the next week? So what's more important to you, right? So watch lighthearted content. Watch things that add value to your life in a way that helps you become more productive and happy and helpful. I love watching tiny home things and explorative things in nature and RV travels and all these different things that are just lighthearted and about living life to your fullest. Find that for you. Find that for you. Other thing is people in conversations, you'll notice that certain people, all they want to do is complain or gossip about other people or about stuff. You need to keep distance from those people because one, you can't try and change everyone. Hey, we can barely change ourselves on a good day. And so if there's people who are constantly in complaining and gossiping around you, you need to understand that that type of thinking is not contributing to positive outcomes. And I find that often that type of stuff is associated with more anxiety because then you wonder, hey, are these people complaining and gossiping about me? And then you might start complaining and gossiping about other people. And then you're worried that that's going to be used against you. And this is just a whole immature subsect of human psychology that you need to get away from. So what I do is whenever the discussion moves to just gossiping without productive outcome or complaining about people, I just change the subject. You just got to because you want to be talking about dreams, ideas, bigger picture things. You might complain about something, but are you actually providing a productive <clears throat> solution for it? That's the thing is that you, if you're going to talk about something from a point of frustration, what's the solution? What's the positive outcome? What is the positive tangent you can take to improve the situation? If not, stop talking about it because it's not going to be helping your anxiety. I know that for me, the gossiping and the complaining was a huge part of my purging, of getting away from the things that were holding me back. Because I would say things and I would do things and then later on I'd be thinking, oh, well, I shouldn't have said that. Now that could be used against me or what if this, what if this person finds out I said this? 
And it's just not a nice thing to do. I just recognized that early on, I just wasn't operating from a high level of thinking. And it was an immaturity thing on my part. And I had to evolve and grow through that as a teenager and in my early 20s to recognize that's not something that I need to be doing anymore. And when it comes to thinking about resources and books that elaborate on your psychology and your health and how your psychology ties into your health and all these different things. There's two really good books I just wanted to touch on. I wanted to drop these in here in the middle of the podcast. One is Your Body Keeps the Score and the other one is Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. So Your Body Keeps the Score and Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Now Your Body Keeps the Score talks about how your psychology and your anxiety and depression manifests itself physically in your health. And so this is why this is such a huge poignant reason to improve your cognitive resilience, reduce your anxiety, because it will manifest itself in the form of illness, diseases, all kinds of things. You see people who are stressed out and anxious, they typically have other physical health problems too. That will literally manifest itself physically. You've got to recognize that your anxiety and your psychology is not sectioned off and compartmentalized away from your physical health. The two are interrelatable. That's the first thing. And then your body keeps the score, dives into the deep technicalities of that, but in a way that's tangible and practical for you to use. The other one is why zebras don't get ulcers. It talks about how the right types of stress exposures or short bursts of stress exposures can actually create what's called a hormetic effect, where you actually get more resilient at handling stress. It's kind of like if you've never been in cold water before, if you jump in a little bit of cold water for a short period of time, over time you can handle more cold water and then more cold water. Or if you've never been in a sauna before, maybe the first five minutes is really hard, but then next week you're doing 10 and then you get to 20 minutes. That acute stress response actually creates resilience. It makes you stronger. See, what happens is that people think all stress is bad. And so what happens is that they avoid stress like the plague. Anything that challenges them, whether it's a hard workout, their heart rate goes up, labored breathing, being in a stressful environment, public speaking, doing something that challenges them, they avoid it because of the fear in that moment, not recognizing that if they inoculate themselves little bit by little bit to that stress, they actually get resiliency around it. Why do you think Toastmasters exists? to cultivate skills and confidence around communication and speaking. So you can practice in a small setting. You can start to inoculate yourself against that anxiety. So you can go out there on stage and do it. That's why it's there. People avoid this, even inoculating themselves to the stress response at all. And so they never, never build a resiliency. You're not going to rise to the occasion like you think. You will fall to your current level of preparation and training. So if you haven't prepared and haven't trained, you will fall to that level. Rising to the occasion is a fluke. It doesn't happen or it happens randomly and you cannot replicate it. You will fall to your current level of training. So if you start work on exposing yourself to the stimulus, maybe if you're getting anxiety about going out in social situations, Maybe you just go for coffee for 30 minutes rather than going out all day and you're going to all these different things all day. Just go for 30 minutes. Just go for 15 minutes. Expose yourself a little bit and then get back to your quote unquote safe haven and then consciously keep doing that and extending the, basically extending how far you go. 
right? So that's what you need to think about. Other things that can be really valuable is slow down how you speak. This one is something that I often speak more quickly when I'm getting excited. My, my speaking pattern and tone speeds up. But do you notice how I slow it back down again and I modulate it? Excitement is in part arousal, which is in part anxiety. And so if you are speaking really quickly, often you're actually stimulating more arousal, which is stimulating more anxiety. Slow down how you are speaking to the point where it might almost feel uncomfortable. Because if you're talking like this all the time, and you're just blah, 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 blah. have you heard people like that? They typically are really anxious people. And so their habits are manifesting themselves in the form of anxiety and vice versa. So what you need to be doing is you need to be pattern interrupting that. Slow down a little bit how you're speaking. Slow it down. Just relax a little bit. Slow down. The next thing, is deeper conscious nasal breathing. Very often, if you're speaking really quickly as well, and you're in a situation where you're really anxious, you're probably doing a lot of shallow mouth breathing. It's very shallow. It's just in and out little bursts through your mouth. There's no conscious breathing. Get deep nasal conscious breathing going on. Why do you think that smokers think smoking is so relaxing? It's not so much relaxing because you're inhaling smoke into their lungs as it is they're taking big, conscious, deep breaths in. Big, conscious, deep breaths. It's like a form of meditation. <laughs> That's why they're feeling relaxed. You can literally alter your blood pressure and heart rate and skin temperature via breath work, which directly affects your nervous system arousal. When I say nervous system arousal, basically what I'm saying is your sympathetic nervous system is your fight and flight section of your nervous system. Your parasympathetic is your rest and digest. Slow controlled breathing will help engage your parasympathetic nervous system and modulate and bring down sympathetic nervous system response. That's also going to help your digestion, by the way. If you're getting lots of bloating, gas, and digestive issues, and you're trying to figure things out with your diet, it could be anxiety and stress as well. So you probably need to be consciously doing that. So check in with yourself every hour, especially when you're out. Are you consciously slowing down how you speak? And are you consciously breathing? That's huge. That really will alter things literally in that moment. But you need to keep auditing yourself and check in with yourself. Other things that I think longer term are really helpful are sun exposure, fresh air, and outside movement. So most people, especially in winter, they tend to just lock themselves away. They don't get sun exposure. They don't get sunlight. They don't get sun into their eyes or onto their skin. They don't really get fresh air. They're just in a recirculating AC environment. It's not good, guys. Get outside every day in some way, shape, or form. If it's in the snow, if it's in the sun, it's in the rain, whatever, get outside to some capacity. Artificial light is the antithesis to that. That blue light is what we're saturated with inside from our computers, from our phone screens, from our TV screens. You need to use blue light filters on computer. There's one called Flux. Most phones have blue light filters on them now. Maybe even some TVs have blue light filters on them now. Otherwise, you can get blue light blocking glasses. So much artificial light really stresses and arouses nervous system. 
much more than we would like. It affects melatonin production, which affects sleep quality. Your sleep quality will be directly impact your psychology as well. So less artificial light, more sunlight or more natural tones like lava lamps, salt lamps, Himalayan salt lamps, or orange and red toned essential oil diffusers, candlelight if you want to do that. That type of stuff will help bring down nervous system arousal. So that's really fundamental to think about as well. And talking about essential oils, this is not some hippy-dippy, mumbo-jumbo, non-science-based stuff. There is actual research and data behind the use of essential oils and calming down nervous system arousal, bringing down stress responses, and helping your heart rate, your skin temperature, and your blood pressure decrease. And so things like lavender oil, ylang-ylang, orange oil have been shown to bring down these overly stressed responses in our body. And so I think using these as a strategy, whether you have them diffusing or you actually take rollers with you and you smell these things when you're in these situations, there's a whole concept around anchoring and priming that I talk about with my students around how do you anchor yourself to a certain state based on using a smell. That's a really powerful thing. When you can use a smell to anchor and prime yourself to a certain psychological and nervous system state and shift through that state. For example, peppermint oil can actually arouse nervous system and get you really pumped up for training without more stimulants, which is a good thing. It's also a vasodilator, which improves blood flow which is a good thing for training, but you don't always want that. At a certain point, you want to slow down that nervous system arousal and maybe after your workout, use lavender oil or ylang-ylang or orange oil to bring down that cortisol response. So important potential strategy there to use essential oils as well. Again, research. This stuff's actually research. This is not just me saying this. This is data proven. Now, another part of it is just understanding the brain's systems. So your brain is in sections and your prefrontal cortex is the highest operating system of your mind. It's where a lot of the, the thinking and the cognitive load takes place. But you have this ancient part called the amygdala, which is quote unquote called your lizard brain because it's there as this nervous system modulator. It essentially is the interoperable part between your nervous system and your brain that helps regulate heart rate and breathing rate and all of these different things. We live in such a overly saturated world now with so many stress responses happening that that trigger in our mind gets keep keeping tripped. It keeps getting tripped. And just to understand that, just to know that, hey, like, my issue is that I just had this really aroused part of my brain that's just trying to keep me safe. It's just trying to protect me. And then understanding that that's just a mechanism that we all have. And it's just a mechanism that you can train. It's not something that is this runaway freight train. You can train this. You can expose yourself little bit by little bit to the stress. You can reframe the stress. Like I was saying, you can breathe through the stress change your breathing rate. If you notice that it's shallow through your mouth, rapid, change that, completely flip it on its head, slow, deep, nasal breathings, slow down how you speak. That is the first way to start changing that, that nervous system arousal because all of a sudden, 
your body starts to interpret those signals as, ah, now it's time I can slow down. I'm not in a flight or fight response anymore. I can start to relax a little bit. Recognizing that it will also pass, that the, the anxiety peaks, but it hits a crescendo, but at a certain point it passes. And I know that for myself is that, okay, I'm feeling anxious right now, but I also know this is going to pass. And that what are the good opportunities right now? How can I reframe this? How can I inoculate myself to this stress more, knowing that it will pass and I will look back. And if I challenge myself and if I reframe things and if I control my nervous system and I moved into this anxiety, knowing that I can learn from this, once it does pass, I feel really good about it. I'm like, man. I really did some good pattern interrupting behavior there. I was able to break those unconscious loops that we all operate on. That takes practice, guys. It takes practice. You've got to just start doing it by slowly exposing yourself to the things that make you fearful in controlled ways. Remember, people don't care or they barely notice your problems. Everyone has their own problems. That's the thing to remember is part of anxiety comes from what are people going to think about me? What are people going to think about what I've done, the content I'm putting out into the world, my message, blah, 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 blah. I'm telling you now, most people don't even notice. They don't. They're so up in their head and worried about themselves. They barely even notice the things that you notice about yourself. And so that's a beautiful thing to recognize that they're up in their head as well, worrying about all their stuff they barely even notice the stuff about you, truly. And so when you recognize that, you kind of give yourself permission to be more goofy and be imperfect, knowing that you notice it, most people don't even notice it, truly. I mean that. And the ones that do, it doesn't even matter at the end of the day. It does not even matter. When you really step back and think about it, you think about this. As you ask yourself a litmus test. Is that, is that person, is there, is there opinion? Is that someone that you would take life advice from? Is that someone that you would come to for advice? And if it's not, why are you taking their negative opinion about you? That's a good litmus test for me to assess. Okay, is this someone that I need to pay attention to or is this someone that I just need to dismiss, right? See this as a compass. See all of this as a compass. Most of your growth is going to lie in the areas where you feel most challenged and you feel that anxiety. Whether it's public speaking, communicating your message, whether it's doing your first video to put your thoughts and message out into the world, whether it's talking to those people that you could build and cultivate connections with and potentially change your life to create more fruitful relationships in your life. All of those things, most often, most of your growth is going to lie in the areas where you feel that anxiety. And the areas where you don't feel it is essentially providing you with your current set of results. And so you've got to ask yourself this. Do you want to avoid anxiety and remain the same? Because if you don't, you're going to have to start inoculating yourself, getting your toe in the water, exposing yourself, reframing the anxiety, breathing through it, working on all of these things I've talked about, micro-dosing the exposure. And a good way to do this, I've found, is to, cr to create a safe space for you to reset. Now, what I mean by this is a few years back uh, with the vegan bodybuilding team, went out to Los Angeles, the LA Fit Expo, where we had to meet thousands and thousands of people. So not only are people there 
obviously looking at our physiques as a vegan and probably making judgments about that. But we had to interact with thousands of people all day from dusk till dawn. Now, you ask anyone who's had anxiety, that's a pretty huge undertaking. And I went there. And some of the things that I found were helpful to me is always try to have your own space at a certain point in the day where you can go back and reset. And so, for example, when I go to different things or different functions, I always make sure that I have my own room as much as I can. You know, I'll try to make sure that accommodating everyone and factoring everyone in, but can I have my own space? Because the nervous system arousal can get so high that if you're always around people and you never get your own space, you'll never be able to reset. I always remember my psychotherapist said to me when I was getting anxious at college, this is on my second round at college, the first time I left, I went back again to a different college, to a different university, and he said, why not make your car your safe space, your, your place to reset? And so every time I felt like my anxiety was going up, I would go out to the car park, sit in my car and play some calming music and just breathe for a while. And that became my place to reset. And I would sit there for five or 10 minutes and then I would go back. And I found that I had to do that less and less. But early on, if I had to do that four or five times a day, hey, it is what it is. So what I'm saying to you is whether you're traveling, whether you are at college, whether whatever you're doing, what is a safe space? Is it somewhere outside? Can you get outside into the fresh air? Is there a place where you can go to reset for five minutes? You, If you can create this pockets or these environments within the stress that allows you to go hit that reset button that can be really powerful so when we were traveling or when we're going with people friends i always drive our own vehicle i never ride with people because i don't want one i don't want to be dependent on other people to get around and two i just want to if i want to leave i want to leave right and so for that reason i'll always make sure that we have our own transport that's another way for me to help reset if I need to, if I need to go sit in there or if if I want to leave early, whatever reason, I do that. I don't want to be dependent on other people. So recognize that, create your own space to reset. And sometimes you're not going to always have that. And that's why essential oils, breathing, creating a space within your mind can be really powerful. And sometimes getting out in nature, if you can get outside into a park or grassy area and create that space within your skull basically that's the next step so the first step for me was to create that physical little pocket physically and then it was to start to create that pocket within my mind and then now and then you can use both right so then you can use both and the last part i want to touch on is sleep i will tell you this that you need to be making sure that you're not consuming stimulants at night time or in the afternoon that you're bringing down blue light exposure in the evening, that you're trying to get to bed earlier, drink some Tulsi tea, for example, if you want to bring down that nervous system arousal in the evening, get to bed earlier, turn the air temperature down, take a quick cool shower before you jump into bed, focus on sleep. Sleep is going to move the needle for you in terms of bringing down stress response. I find that people that don't sleep well tend to have a lower threshold for stress because you're just not hitting that reset button properly. And so there's a whole, I've done episodes on sleep and all these things. So you need to go back and just listen through all the different podcast episodes I've done. Because guys, fundamentally, everything I've talked about in season one and two so far, it ties back 
to all of these things. It ties back to modulating your neurochemistry and improving your psychology, all of it, whether it's improving your nutrition, optimizing your blood glucose levels, eating whole food, plant-based diet, reducing your stimulant consumption, eliminating alcohol, using pressure release valve training techniques like working out, moving often every day, multiple times per day, external stimulus, eliminating the news, curating your social media news feed, stop consuming violent or overly arousing action content and all those things, stop gossiping and complaining, focus on goals, dreams, bucket list ideas, things that inspire you, things that bring you to life, right? And recognize that you won't rise to the occasion as much as you'll fall to your current level of training. So you need to start inoculating yourself, microdosing the exposure, whether it's with speaking or getting to the gym to work out, anything. Do it in little bursts and increase the duration of those bursts. Slow down how you communicate. Breathe. Recognize that wherever you're at right now, you have the potential to change all of that. Trust me, as someone who's been through the thick of it, who's walked through that minefield, it can feel really daunting in the moment. And you can think to yourself, well, I know all these things, Fraser. You know, I've tried all these things. But have you really stuck with them properly? And have you really given them a proper concerted effort? Probably not. Because I know that when you combine all of these things together, it's going to change your chemistry in your body. You will gain control over your nervous system arousal. You will gain control over the way that you see your challenges. And you'll stop seeing this anxiety as something you need to be running from and a compass pointing you in the direction of your growth. So slow down today. Work on these things because this stuff is essentially sharpening the axe. If you're a lumberjack and you're trying to cut down a tree and you're just swinging, 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 and you're not taking time to move and sleep and prepare proper food and reset in these environments that will help bring down your nervous system and you're just constantly swinging your axe, your axe is going to get really, really blunt and you're going to be putting in a lot of mental grunt for very little physical real world results. So you need to slow down, stop, sharpen your axe so you don't have to swing as much and you don't hit that burnout point in the first place. Guys, none of this is easy. If it was easy, no one would be on anti-anxiety medications. If it was easy, everyone would have mastered their psychology. This stuff takes work. It takes determination. Get yourself around people who think like this. If you're struggling and you're like, well, I've tried all this, it's not working. You're not around people enough. You're not having conversations directly enough with people who think like this. That's why getting mentorship from someone like myself can be so helpful and so impactful because when I'm coaching people through plant-based vegan nutrition, and training. I tie all of these practices and all of these methodologies into someone's experience because I recognize that if they're an anxious hot mess, if you're an anxious hot mess, you're not going to be able to stick to plans long term. And that's not good. That's not what we want to be. So take action today. Reach out. Let's talk. Let me help you. And or at the very least, surround yourself with more positive people, whether it's on YouTube, social media, in real life, or all of the above. Get out there and focus on these things. If you implement these things I've suggested and you do it consciously and consistently as a daily practice, I promise you, you will change your life like I did for me. But it takes recognizing 
that this is not going to be an overnight success and that you've got to finally be accountable for your life and stop arguing for your limitations. Stop using anxiety as a limitation as to why you can't do things. Remember, if you argue for your limitations, you get to keep them. Argue for why you can break through. Argue for why you can change. And that's what you'll get to keep. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Veg Up podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you can be the first to know when new episodes go live. Please leave us a review and share this on social media. Tag me. Let me know what helped you. Let me know what you want to hear more of. Let's get this information out to the world. Help me do that. And be sure to email us over at Fraser at evolvingalpha.com for coaching options and mentorship. Because if you want growth, it begins here, my friend.